I'm Charlie Wilmoth. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. David Todd and Charlie Wilmoth, we're pleased to have as our guest today the esteemed baseball writer, Rob Nyer, head of SB Nation's Baseball Operations. Rob, how's it going? It's going great, thanks. Uh, Rob, both of us have been reading um, your work since before blogs existed, going back to you know more than a decade. Uh, so you maybe have a unique perspective on things. How, how has baseball writing changed since you started writing about it? Well, I, I don't know that it's changed that much for many of us. I've basically been doing the same thing uh, since 1996. Um, uh, what has changed a little bit is, you know, when you introduce blogging into the equation, what it basically means is you're writing uh, maybe a little more often, well, definitely more often, and maybe not at the same length. I used to write a lot of 800 to 1,000 word columns, and now I write a lot of 500 word columns, or what we call blog posts now, but really the content is essentially the same uh, as I used to do. Twitter's definitely changed things a lot for for me uh, because it's such a great source of information, and it's changed things for a few guys who, you know, really focus on scoops. I mean, I, I can, you know, I shouldn't say a few guys, a lot of guys. Anyway, I, I've been in meetings with, with baseball writers, and they obsessed over scoops and who has stories first. Um, I've never really been concerned about that kind of thing. Um, but I can tell you that within the, within the general industry of baseball writing, uh, Twitter has made a huge difference to those guys. Robert, are you surprised at the, the depth and breadth of people out there, just, uh, just the people who aren't doing this professionally at the quality and quantity of, of stuff that's out there. I mean, I just over, over the course of the past 10 years, just seeing how much good writing there is and how many people are interested in the game, I think is, I, that, that, that overall that has surprised me. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, and that's something I should have touched on. Um, when you look at the explosion of what, you know, what we might call, I don't know, citizen uh, blogging, and we see that on, on SB Nation, obviously. It really goes back to, one could argue, rec sport baseball uh, back in the, the early to mid-90s, um, out of which grew um, many things, but among them baseball perspectives. But now you've got so many sites where you do have people who are, aren't doing it for a living, but who are doing great work. And, uh, uh, and, and, and those websites, those writers are, are, are sources for and utilized by the professional baseball writers who cite those, their, that work all the time. So um, it really has, you know, the internet has democratized in a sense baseball writing. And I, and I don't think that there's, uh, you know, I, I think it's all positive. I mean, yes, you can jump in and, and find small negatives here and there if you like. But, but I think for the most part, you know, this is a great time to be a baseball fan, arguably the greatest time ever to be a baseball fan. And I think a, and one of the big reasons for that is, is all the information all the, and all the great writing that's out there. Rob, turning to the Pirates now, what's your basic feeling about Neil Huntington now that we're four, four and a half years into his tenure? Well, I, I think we are still waiting to see something truly impressive. And I, I've been, you know, optimistic about the Pirates since Huntington took over because he's always said the right things. It's hard to point to anything. I can't really go back and up with anything where I would say, wow, that was really a dumb move. Like, you know, you could do that with a lot of GMs, but I, I don't remember being able to do that 
ever thinking that with Huntington. But I mean, the the, the, the truth is that we're starting to see one of his moves aside from, you know, I don't even know. Did, did he even draft Andrew McCutcheon? Was that one of his guys? No, that was a little field draft. So, you know, you look at all the rest of the moves and you're just waiting for that, for one of those guys to really pan out. And, and um, I mean, it's obviously that, that in, until uh, Pedro Alvarez um, or Tabata um, or somebody else really establishes himself as a, as a, as a, as a great player, um, it's hard to argue that the Pirates have done what they need to do. And we, on that vein, uh, Rob, Pedro Alvarez is the touchstone in Pittsburgh, uh, the lightning rod, if you will, in terms of what they should be doing with him. The production hasn't been there. In spring training, he really uh, he looked terrible, I mean beyond terrible. And in the first couple weeks of the season, strikeout rates above 50%. He's had a good little run here the past two weeks, uh, five homers now in the season, an OPS that, that looks very good. Uh, when you have a guy like this, and you've seen it with some of the guys with the Royals, Alex Gordon comes to mind, uh, and some of the, you, you've seen it with a variety of, of young, uh, high-ceiling guys. Is there a, a thought in your mind about how you handle these guys? You know, I, I knew that you would ask that question, David, and, and I would say there's no – I don't know that there's a rule that you can apply to everyone. I think you got to take them, take them case by case. And what I argued in the spring when Alvarez was struggling – in, during spring training, was and I said it looks to me like a guy who isn't ready to play in the majors, who, who's not ready right now, who needs some work, needs to do something. But I said then, um, it's the Pirates' job, it's management's job to know more, a lot more about him than I do. And sure. if they are convinced that 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 um, he needs to do what he needs to do in the majors, then then maybe they're right. And I don't want to go go too far in questioning them. I will say I'm not convinced yet that starting him in the majors this spring was the right decision. I mean, yeah, he's played better lately. He's on pace for something like uh, 25 strikeouts and 25 walks and 200 strikeouts, and, and uh, uh, that contact rate will eat him alive if he doesn't improve. Um, I'm not saying that he won't, um, and maybe the best thing at this point is for him to learn in the major leagues, but um, um, I would say the jury's still still way, way out. You know, and first of all, I do want to circle back for, just for a moment back to the Pirates pitching, which uh, has been phenomenal this season. And I think you have to give some of the credit to the management, obviously. I mean, it's, uh, it's clearly early, um, and maybe all these guys won't have sub-three ERAs all season. I'm sure they won't. But it's probably not fair just to focus on two or three young hitters to the exclusion of everything else that has mm -hmm. gone well for the Pirates this season. We saw that we, you and I talked a couple times last year, and we got – 40 games into the season, we got 80 games into the season, we got 100 games into the season, and the Pirate staff was putting up uh, really good numbers without the underlying peripherals. And, and you know, it was the smoke and mirrors type thing, and everybody was w waiting for, for lack of better term, the regression, and to see this staff essentially fall apart, and at some level it did. And this year with Bedard and Burnett at the front of the rotation, with McDonald, uh, having a you know two very good outings and 10 strikeouts last night and throwing 114 pitches is it fair to say that uh, the makeup of the staff would be even though the results are, are similar as to how they started last year the makeup of the staff and the lower FIP that maybe this is uh, not sustainable at this level but more sustainable than it was last year I think so yeah I do um, I think that Charlie Morton is not the next Roy Halladay which we knew of course last season but um, I'm encouraged. I mean, he really seems to have, have, have become a different pitcher. And, and uh, 
uh, and the peripherals are decent. What's you know the key for these guys this season has been they haven't given up any home runs. I mean, uh, it looks like the rotation has given up five home runs all season. They can't continue to do that. I mean, that's just not sustainable. Uh, but um, and I would have to look, drill down deeper. But maybe they are, you know, getting more ground balls than 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 average. Maybe these you know if you get a staff of ground ball pitchers, uh, you don't need to have great strikeout to walk ratios to be successful. So. Um, I'm guardedly optimistic about the pitching. I don't know that they're, they're not going to be this good all season, but um, I think that McDonald has a chance to be a very good pitcher. I've always liked him, and you know Bedard is a good pitcher if he's healthy, and Morton maybe is is the guy that uh, he looked like in the first half of last season, or at least over the course of the whole season. And and I like the Burnett signing, so um, I think some targeted signings or trades seem to have worked pretty well for these guys. Yeah, and uh, I'll just tell you, Rob, for the rest of the season, don't sleep on Juan Cruz and, and Jason Grilly. They have been fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, Rob, turning now to uh, the team that you really follow closely, the Royals, um, they have a, a lot of guys in their lineup who are hitting really, really well, uh, and yet they're 6-15. and 15. What's going on there? You know, part of the problem for the Royals is they've been very unlucky. unlucky. They, they're, they, they've lost nearly all of their one-run games, um, but they just don't have, and I've been harping on this for the last two years, they just don't have the starting pitching. And I don't know that they're going to have the starting pitching anytime soon. They do have a couple of really good prospects in the minors. But when you look at their rotation, they basically don't have anybody, with the possible exception of Bruce Chen, who is good enough right now to start for a good contending major league team. And, and, and that's going to be an issue, uh, I think, all season and probably in, you know, further into the future. Maybe we need to have the Royals and the Pirates merge uh, it sounds like a, it sounds like that'd be a team that could win either central division. Yes, that would be an impressive collection. You're absolutely right. <laughs> hey, Rob, let's look at it from thirty thousand feet as we step back here. Everybody likes to talk about small sample size and kind of uh, you know ignore some things that happened in April. But if we look at the standings right now, Charlie and I were talking before you jumped on. Uh, you might look and say about twenty five teams are playing the type of baseball that we expected. And there may be, you know, five teams that are, are outliers from the, where they were. Can you start to really draw big conclusions of the season from team perspective here on what's happened after basically 20 to 25 games? I think that you can. You're absolutely right. I mean, it is it's always amazing to me every year. It's amazing to me how how quickly the um, the standings make make sense. Look like what we thought they would look like. I mean, in the American League, I think the only thing that looks strange is the Angels at 8-15, and 15, nine games out of first place. That's the only team that's weird. I mean, yeah, the Red Sox are in last place, but they're 11-11. and 11. That's no big deal. They're three and a half games out, and they, they've got a positive run differential. So there's nothing really untoward in the American League East, not the whole division. Well, I suppose you could, you could talk about the, the Orioles. So let's say the Orioles are a little strange at 14-9, and nine, and the Angels are strange at 8-15. Eight, eight and 15. Otherwise, nothing is surprising in the American League. Nothing. Right. Um, in the National League... You know the Marlins at eight and fourteen, um, obviously underperforming. But I look at the rest of the league. That's it. Right? And maybe the maybe the Mets. Right. That's it. Yeah, I mean the Mets are thirteen and ten. I had them around five hundred this season. So you know, not they're not that far off. And in fact, their their run differential is minus twenty. So they've been they're very fortunate to be thirteen and ten. And you're right in the National League. I didn't think the, the Padres would be this bad. They're seven and seventeen. But otherwise, yep, every team. You know, okay, and the Dodgers. So that's the good one. The Dodgers are sort of the Orioles of the National League. The Dodgers are overperformed. Uh, they're 16 and seven with a, with a plus 12 run differential. So that's freaky. I mean, they they've been exceptionally fortunate 
I think if you look at the run differentials, uh, things make even more sense than if you look at the records. So, yeah, it, it, it really is amazing how quickly uh, the standings do shake out in a reasonable way. Uh, going back to, to the Angels, Rob, you've got the, the Rangers who are six and a half games up on the Mariners and on the A's and now nine games up on the Angels. Whatever you might think about the Angels' performance so far being surprising, is how big is that, that, that a, a team as good as the Rangers already has a nine-game lead on their main competition in that division? Well, the Rangers probably are better than the Angels, but they shouldn't be this much better this, this soon. And while I think it would be a real stretch to say the Angels have a great shot at the division, I do think the Angels have a, 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 quite a good shot at getting back into a race of some sort, whether it's a division race or the wild card race or both. I think the, the Angels are one, are, are one of the few teams that you can look at right now and say they're a, a good bet. Not just an okay bet, but a good bet to turn things around. Well, talking about some individual players here, we see guys like uh, Pujols get off to a start. And we talk about these long-term contracts, uh, and we see Matt Kemp get off, off to this amazing start. Can we make – I mean, is this just things that we, as the, the people who follow baseball and look at the analytics and say Matt Kemp as a young guy, an MVP candidate, signing him to that long-term deal makes a lot of sense and they're going to get five or six years out of value, of value out of it and we can look and say at Albert Pujols and say, wow, even though he's just having a bad month, the back end of that contract is going to be a disaster? Well, I wouldn't say disaster, but the potential certainly is there. Look – the, the history of free agency is littered with dozens and dozens of contracts signed by players in their 30s that wound up looking terrible. You know, you are, and this is not original thought by any means, you, when, you, when you sign a player in his 30s to a long-term deal, you are, you are buying into a declining market. And Pujols had already shown a, some small signs of decline in 2010 and 2011. He's showing real sign of decline this season. Now, I'm not, I don't believe that it's real, uh, you know, or at least completely real. I don't think he's going to continue to hit like this all season, but it was a lot of money. I think what makes it difficult for us to evaluate the contract is we're, we, we can't know yet how much ba money, how much baseball money is going to be worth in the coming years. One could argue, and I have, that. Uh, with the the new TV deals that are going to come online in the next 10 years, that it might be that uh, $25 million five years from now is, is like 15 now. And I think if you just run sort of a straight graph of expected performance versus salary, you, you might find that, um, that you know, it looks like a pretty decent deal for Pujols and for Joey Votto and for Prince Fielder. So we're going to have to wait and see how much money is worth within the game of baseball before we can really pass judgment. But I do think that, you know, obviously teams, generally speaking, become disappointed in these long-term deals uh, in the out years. There's no question about that. Matt, Matt Kemp at 12 homers, 25 ribbies. His triple slash line is 417, 490, 893. Give me a shot at what his triple slash line is going to be at the, at the end of the year. Wow. Um, it's a good question. I don't know what to make of, of Kemp. I actually thought that last season might be about as, as, as well as he could play because he never done anything, anything anywhere near that good before. Right. Uh, I would say, you know, 320, 330 batting average-wise is reasonable. Hmm. Um, he's not going to draw a ton of walks unless everybody starts walking him, 
which is possible. He has drawn. He has not drawn an intentional walk this season. Huh. If he continues to pitch like, hit like he's hit, he's going to start drawing a lot of walks. So let's say 330, 4.20, and we'll give a slugging percentage of uh, what did he do last year? Let me see. Um, last year he was at 5.86. So let's say. 640, which would be obviously a, a, an MVP season. Even if the Dodgers don't win the division, he would be the MVP. That's a great year, yep. Rob, one one uh, team the Pirates haven't seen yet, but have a series coming up against fairly soon is the Houston Astros. They're 9-14 and 14 at this point, which is you know not too surprising. Then, then you look at the run differential, and they're 104 runs scored, 100 runs allowed. Is this a better team than we thought it was going to be? Yes, I think so. Um, it's easy to predict 100 losses for a team like the Astros, who, who actually... You know, did lose 100 last year, more than 100, as I recall. Um, 106 last year, actually. Uh, they seem to be actively trying to get worse this year. Uh, basically going to full rebuilding mode, saving money, probably looking at maybe the first pick in the draft, not just this summer, but next summer as well. And it hasn't worked out that way. I mean, yeah, the record isn't there, but they have played better. Uh, I know one thing that's changed is their, their walk rate this season is way up, and uh, you know it's hard to say exactly that they, you know that I don't they plan for that, um, and maybe it's not sustainable. But um, I think that it's really hard to lose 100 games in the major leagues. They probably are better than we thought. They're probably still a last place team, but I don't think they're going to lose 106 games again. I, I would say 95 is a more reasonable expectation. Uh, and Rob, we, we know you got to go, but you've now probably had a chance to see the Pirates once or twice. Uh, is this a team that can approach 500? And should they be concerned about that number in the sense that if they're 15 games off the pace in July 31st, Joel Hanrahan out the door, Eric Bedard out the door? Well, sure. I think that you have to trade a guy like Bedard. I mean, the, the Mariners did it last year and uh, picked up a prospect. In the bargain, and I, I think that you've, you've got to look at trading guys like like them um, if you can get something for them, and they probably will be well out of the race. Look, it's it's we've we talked about this last year. The rebuilding process is tough as a fan, yeah. especially when it seems to go on forever and ever. Could this team surprise us? It's possible. Um, I think there are some guys obviously who could play a lot better than they played. I mean, Andrew McCutcheon has not really done all that well this season. Not like what not, not what I I thought, I thought he might be an MVP candidate this season, and clearly that hasn't happened. So when I look at the lineup, I see a bunch of guys who could play a lot better than they played. When I look at the rotation, I look at a bunch of guys who could pitch worse than they pitched. So it's probably going to even out. I think 500 is a reasonable, if not expectation for this team, it's a reasonable goal. What we said last year for most of the summer, and uh, it, it wound up not working out that way but this team could do that well i just think that you've still got to be looking towards 2013 or and beyond and that probably does mean uh, making some deals uh and getting younger rob appreciate your time everybody knows they can find rob's stuff sb nation uh the baseball section he's the lead writer for that area and you can follow rob on twitter at rob nyer uh rob thanks for being our uh, our biggest name guest so far on the bucks dugout podcast David, Charlie, great to be here. Thanks a lot, and um, hope to do it again. Welcome back to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. We'd like to say thanks again to our guest, Rob Nyer. And before we go, 
Here, uh, David, we'd like to uh, spend a few minutes discussing the latest and what's been going on with the Pirates, uh, beginning with last night's game, which was a great uh, 9-3 win uh, against the Braves to split the series. We saw a couple of big line drive home runs from the Bucks. We also saw a 10-strikeout performance from James McDonald. David, tell us what you saw. Charlie, I, I t- if there's a game that gets you excited, I mean, really, if there's something that, that you think about and, and things can happen with this team, last night kind of epitomized all the good things. J-Mac, as you said, a little bit of trouble in the first inning, gave up a two-run homer. Uh, it seems he has these first inning issues, and, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's coincidence or it's just the, the way uh, he gets into throwing, but um, he had trouble in the first inning again last night. We've seen it. We saw it a lot last year. We saw it again last night. Freddie Freeman takes him deep. But, man, did he look good. And I'll tell you the most interesting thing from this game for me by far is how Clint Hurdle managed this. Uh, James McDonald was right around 100 pitches through seven innings, and he had pitched well. He struck out the side in the seventh inning, and he's there, and he's going to bat in the eighth inning. So, obviously, you're not going to send him out there. And as you know, J-Mac's a left-handed batter. That's his right shoulder that's exposed. And I'm the last guy in the world who thinks you shouldn't do things because a guy might get injured. Uh, you know, I'm thinking, obviously, J-Max done, great effort. He went seven strong, struck out the side. Everything's going to be feeling good. Uh, he sends J-Max up to the plate. And, I, you know, I was I was having a conversation with somebody saying, you know, this, this can't be a reward for a good pitching effort, right? You're not going to send him up to bat, uh, A, because of the, you know, the, the rare injury risk, and B, because you've got, you know, bench players who need at bat. So, uh, you know, obviously that wasn't the case, and they bring him out for the eighth inning. And I, I honestly, Charlie, I, I don't have any problem with that. In fact, I liked it. And I think probably he and Sirich had said in the dugout, J-Mac can throw 115 pitches, and we don't care where he is. If he gets, you know, we'll assume five pitches a batter, and if he gets to 110 and the new batter's up, he's out. But he can start any batter before pitch 110, and I think that's more or less what they did. There was a guy on. He got a strikeout. They took him out uh, after he got two outs, actually, and and Chris Resop came in and uh, pitched the last four outs. And so good for James McDonald. A, Clint has stretched him out now so that he can feel comfortable pitching 114 pitches. And with what we've seen with J-Mac, the issue has been uh, efficiency. And if he's going to be a strikeout guy, he's going to have to throw a few more pitches. And so all of these things, I took that as a great positive. I think, you know, a great effort by J-Mac. And I really, you know, I've said a lot of negative things over the course of the year so far on how Clint's managed his staff, particularly his bullpen. A-plus for he and Searage on how they did this. The other thing that I took away from uh, J-Mac's effort, Charlie, is in that seventh inning, he was throwing a ton of curveballs. And he was throwing curveballs at different speeds. And I don't, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming they're all curveballs. I wasn't, I was watching the television and I didn't have any sound with me. But uh, they were between kind of 73, uh, 81, 85. I mean, he threw some different stuff and he has that slow 12 to 6 curveball. But these were a little bit more of a sweeping curve that he was throwing around 81 miles an hour. Something I haven't seen a lot of. And he went to it with righties and lefties and he threw it a ton. I mean, you know, almost to the point where I think he threw seven or eight in a row in that seventh inning, and he was getting swings and misses. So uh, a really encouraging effort from him. And then the other takeaway, Yamaiko Navarro goes deep. Pedro goes deep again. Uh, when Pedro's making contact and driving the ball, he's going to hit a lot of balls out of the park. That's fun. You wrote about it this morning. Uh, it's a small, you know, it's a small two-week uh, window where he's done very well. We'll see if he can carry it over. But games like like that are are fun. And you know, I'd like to see. I've said all along. I'd like to see Michael Navarro get more at bats. Neil Huntington said on Sunday that both Navarro 
and Harrison are likely to get set, sent down here at some point just so that they do get more regular at-bats. But uh, we'll see what happens. And then, uh, as you pointed out when we before we get on here, Evan Meek gets sent down. We've talked about it at length. If Meek's not throwing 95 and then having that tight cutter at 88, he's not very effective. And he has, you know, his velocity's been a little better lately. There maybe are some encouraging signs. But I think he's got to go down to Indianapolis and pitch every other day and maybe pitch two innings at a time at times. Uh, he needs to get his work in. But I, I've said it. You know, look, I'm I'm making predictions not because I hope things happen, but I think Evan Meek's done as being a a go-to reliever. Well, I mean, you never know when somebody's velocity is going to come back, but I do agree with you that he's he's not very likely to be uh, effective when he's throwing 92 mile an hour fastballs because his game is so dependent upon that pitch. I mean, the interesting thing about his performance so far this season is that. Uh, if you look at the ratios and such, it's, it actually hasn't been that bad. I think he's allowed one home run and has walked one batter. But I do think that over time, he, he needs to get his fastball back to where it was and make it a better pitch. So it's really hard to argue too much with uh, with sending him down. We'll see who the Pirates bring up in his place. It doesn't really look like there are a ton of incredibly inspiring options down there. Uh, but this is this seems to me to be about Meek and not to be about you know bringing up a second lefty or anything like that. Right, and you, you're, I think you said it right. I, I haven't count the, counted the days, but Phil, Phil Hughes is, is the obvious guy uh, to, to bring up. And, it, you know, if not, maybe Moskis gets a chance if they want to have that second lefty. Uh, again, this is going to be – the back end of this bullpen is going to be a little bit of a rotating position, as it always is. This is nothing new. The front – you know, the lead guys, the four horses, uh, with Hanrahan, Grilly, Cruz, and Resop have been really good. So, uh, you know, Resup may be a tad less than some of the other guys. But, uh, you know, those, those three guys who are the setup guys and getting to Joel have been really good. And the Pirates, Charlie, here, they're 10-12 and 12, uh, at the end of April. And I was talking about if they had a disastrous West Coast trip that, you know, they could walk out of April with maybe, you know, five wins. They could be 5-17 and 17 or 6-16 six and 16 and really take the starts out of things. Uh, as a Pirate fan, I'm incredibly encouraged. And the other thing that I find encouraging is what we're seeing down in the minor leagues from some of the pitchers, particularly the two big guys. Yeah, um, uh, Garrett Cole coming off a really, really good outing uh, last night in which he uh, pitched six innings, struck out six, landed one walk, um, allowed one hit. You know, and uh, we saw some some outings at the beginning of the year where, you know, he allowed some runs. In some cases, had some pretty bad defense, which led to those runs. But now his his overall stat line looks very good. He has he struck out 20, 29 batters in twenty three innings, um, in his first real pro experience. So uh, so things there are going well. Uh, Jamison Tyone has uh, twenty eight strikeouts. Uh, against just four walks at this point, he's he's been you know more dominant at least statistically than than Cole has. So that's going well. Uh, I don't know so much about the rest of the system. I mean, it's it's kind of a little bit like we've. I mean, it's early of course, but it's kind of a little bit like we've we've dis- we discussed last year, where especially you know at the upper levels of the minors, there really isn't that much going on. The West Virginia team is certainly very interesting, but a lot of the the more advanced prospects haven't been so successful. Yeah, I think the takeaway is uh, we've seen Jeff Locke with a couple good starts lately, Rudy Owens with a couple good starts, and Justin Wilson uh, throwing a combined no-hitter. Look, that's all you can ask for is those guys go out and and dominate AAA. We didn't see it happen last year. So we'll see how these – you know, it's making me pay attention to these guys for the first time this year uh, after, you know, being very discouraged about those four pitchers, the Altoona four. It's good to see them have uh, productive outings. So – I'll be paying closer attention now. I don't think, as you said, there's not a lot of hitting prospects in AAA other than Starling Marte. 
uh, Alan Hansen down in West Virginia is a, a guy to get excited about, but he's a long way away. And Alberto, Alberto Santos looks like maybe he got banged up at home plate and Josh Bell is out. So, again, it seems to be a little bit more of the same stuff. The pitching in the minor leagues, some interesting stuff, maybe less so the hitting. Robbie Grossman hasn't really uh, taken off yet at Altoona. So, stuff to watch, Charlie. But uh, I, I, let me just throw back to you the 10 and 12 start. Feel reasonably good about it? Yeah, um, I, I I do. Given how how difficult the schedule has been, I mean, the pitching is obviously it's it's it feels like it's gone from great to even more great recently, and um, yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, of, of course, to to finish up some things about our discussion of the minor leagues, um, it's good to see that the the, uh, the the AAA pitchers, Justin Wilson, Jeff Locke, Rudy Owens, are doing a lot better this year, but we're still seeing with them. Um, a lot of the the tendencies they've had in the past. Uh, Wilson, I mean, his his Achilles Achilles heel is his control, and he still walks 16 batters in 30 innings. Owens, you know, still we think he might not strike out enough guys. He only has 19 strikeouts, which isn't too bad, but 19 strikeouts in 26 innings. So you know, we're seeing that these guys have the same weaknesses they've always had. They've just learned to control them a little bit better, which is which is definitely a positive development. But I'm not ready to to uh, you know find space in the rotation for these guys or anything like that. Good stuff, as always, Charlie. Uh, let me just do a little PR plug. I will be on ESPN 970 this week from 4 to 7, filling in on the Joe Bendel Show, and Charlie is going to be a guest. We'll post that on BucksDagout.com, but assume that that will be sometime Thursday. So we'll be talking a fair bit of baseball Wednesday and Thursday. Jason Grilly will be on with me Wednesday. So if you're in the Pittsburgh area, tune into that, or you can follow it on the ESPN.com website or on the iHeartRadio app on your smartphone. I'm on Twitter at Bucks Dugout. Dave is on at DT on Pirates. Uh, we encourage your comments and questions, uh, either in the comments of the site, BucksDugout.com, or send it to us on Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. Podcast.